0: Pastor Jim is in Palm Springs. I am sure we feel sorry for him, but he's getting a well-deserved break. And uh, yeah, so I'm here. I've preached a few times with you, and um, I just feel so privileged and honored to be able to do it, and I just pray that I do the Word of God justice. Uh. Let's dive into this thing. We're in Acts 21, 26 through 37. And if you're able, will you stand, please? I'm doing it a little different. I am just going to read. Every time I preach and you guys kind of mumble after me, I just, I get so stressed about that. I don't know why. I have not figured out the repeat after me timing. So uh, 21, 26 through 37. The riot in Jerusalem. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed him, crying out, away with him. All right, you guys can have a seat. That's the first Sunday of spring, isn't it? Yeah. You guys excited about that? The gray is not really going to go away anytime soon, but... Um, I just remember when I was a bus driver, I drove transit and it was so funny. Like if there was a nice day in March, just the bus was just full and just people just come out and they're smiling. And normally it's just like, okay, here's my money. I don't want to talk to you. So springtime, hopefully it brings you guys, brings us all in a little bit better mood from the gray. It's just part of living in our area, I guess. So um, anyway, yeah, and it's still freezing. Someone said it's still freezing. It still feels like winter. So anyway, uh, the uh, groundhog is, I don't know what he said, but it doesn't really matter. All I know is it repeated a lot. Okay. Some of you guys got that. It wasn't a very good joke. All right. Let's start today... Today I'm going to go really a lot backwards to kind of mine some things and get some perspective on this passage, this relatively short passage of the riot in Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to start with just going back one verse. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled. And the offering presented for each one of them. When, he, when the seven days were almost completed, dot, 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 we'll get to that. All right. If you remember last week, Pastor Jim discussed uh, Paul's visit with James in Jerusalem. The Christians rejoiced over the success of his Gentile missionary work, but were concerned that there were rumors that he was teaching the Jews to abandon their ancestral laws and customs. And this in turn could negatively affect their efforts as the church in Jerusalem. In an effort to dispel the rumors they place Paul to publicly they ask Paul to publicly participate in a Nazarite vow as spelled out in number six. Paul volunteers to go along with the vow, staying true to his willingness, an often quote quoted passage that Paul has said, I want to be all things to all people. Now, for a Nazarite, he, for a Nazarite vow, he would be, in the beginning of this thing, he would be clean. But he goes under more ritual, and because he was with, in Gentile territory, ministering to them, he went under formal purification for seven days, and it was up at the beginning of our passage. Now, to further kind of get a picture of what we're talking about, I want to do a little bit of a deep dive into Jerusalem and the temple. Both are where this riot takes place. Um, And you can see this picture is you know, that picture doesn't really do it justice. I imagine that if we were to go back in time and see this temple, we would be astonished at how beautiful and magnificent it was, especially Herod's temple. And that's, anytime in the New Testament, it is Herod's temple that we're talking about. Before I get all mixed up, I'm going to stick to my notes. Jerusalem was and is a sacred city to the Jews. Now I'm talking about Uh, Jerusalem not the temple kind of got ahead of myself it was centrally located Jerusalem for the nation of Israel to access and was strategic in that it was on a hill the eastern and western sides of Jerusalem had valleys in them which made it easier to defend during the reign of David Jerusalem was firmly established politically many many centuries before and religiously is the capital city of the Hebrew nation. In Deuteronomy twelve, it is referred to as the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of your tribes to put his name there, Jerusalem. The book of Acts begins in Jerusalem as Jesus commands his followers to wait in Jerusalem in Acts twenty-four nine. And behold, I am setting sending the power of my of the sending the promise of my spirit upon you. But stay in the city Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts one four, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. There's a big bump in the road in Jerusalem. It's a big event. It is the stoning of Stephen in Jerusalem. And, uh, After that time, the Christians avoided the area, presumably to avoid being killed like Stephen was. In Acts 15, there's a Jerusalem council that discusses um, this issue of Paul preaching that, uh, oh, I'm just going to read it, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved And Paul and Barnabas had no small discussion and debate with them. So there was some returning and talking in Jerusalem in Acts 15. Jerusalem for Jesus was a vital center of ministry. The wise men who sought Jesus on the night of his birth were from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where Jesus was when he was 12 where he amazed the temple leaders with his knowledge and wisdom. In Jerusalem, Jesus cleansed the temple, chasing away the money changers who desecrated the place with their selfish ambition of buying and selling. It was in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. We're also in the temple at Jerusalem. Forty acres was the grounds of the temple. The whole thing. Herod the Great in 19 BC constructed and remodeled and enhanced the temple greatly. It was beautiful. In fact, it said that the gold and white of the temple shone so brightly in the sun that it was difficult to look directly at the temple. In the Old Testament, temples in general were erected to both worship the true God and pagan gods alike. A temple was a place that was thought of as a building where the gods or God in question manifested themselves. In AD 70, this beautiful temple, a mere 13, roughly 13 years later, after this event, this riot in Jerusalem, this temple is going to be destroyed as Jesus predicted it would be. The Roman authorities provide religious freedom to the Jewish people, enhancing and improving the temple. It's very generous of Herod the Great to do this. He wanted to get on the good side of the people of the Jewish people. Seemingly in the blink of an eye from, you know, from 19 BC to 70 AD. What is that? 89 years? temples destroyed, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, they can't even go there. Titus, the Roman general, comes in and destroys it. The temple in Jerusalem was still central to Jewish Christians, the first Christians. They worshiped at the temple as Jesus had. Yet, as they began to understand the meaning and significance of Jesus' person In work and teaching, they realized that they were the new people of God, infused by his spirit, there's only one, and were themselves temples of the Holy Spirit. After the setting of the riot in Jerusalem, the sacred city, and in the temple, this beautiful space, we continue to set this up. We see that Paul desires to go there. And by going back... We're going to discover something that Paul has a very burning passion to go to Jerusalem. The chapters before 21, 19, 20, and 21, there are several inst- int- um, instances that we need to examine a little bit. Uh, prophet, the prophet Agabus, maybe you guys remember, I think it was one or two weeks ago, who dis- who comes to Paul, And those around him, and it's recorded that in Acts 21.11, Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man, Paul, who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Paul responds, and this is stunning to me, and it's central to the discussion this morning. He responds to the suggestion that he not go to Jerusalem by saying, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Acts twenty-one, fourteen. What do you think Paul's purpose was to go to Jerusalem? We understand this also. In Acts twenty, another telling thing about What's setting this riot up? You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time for the day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. What will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me? So we've got Paul's burning desire to go there. We've got What else do we got? I talked about the temple in Jerusalem. The other player in this story is the Jews from Asia. Back to our text, the story starts out with this, crying out, men of Israel, help. They're in the temple, at least on the temple grounds. They're in Jerusalem. This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law in this place moreover he even brought greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place for they had previously seen trophimus the ephesian with him in the city and they supposed that paul had brought him into the temple so what's the big deal bringing a greek person into the temple death if someone, if a Jew brought a non-Jewish person into the temple, it was a, the death penalty. Uh, archaeologists have actually discovered signs that says, keep out of the inner temple. It was clear that this was the, the Romans endowed the Jews with, uh, the only capital punishment they could carry out was capital punishment for entering the temple. So it was a serious accusation, a big deal. Notice also something else. Notice how they mention Trophimus by name. I think if you're, you know, harassing someone, you know, like they were familiar with him to say his name. They they were that familiar with the company around Paul. It indicates something that This is not the first time they've been met, perhaps. In Acts 20, verse 4, there's a list of folks, and at the end, and Trophimus. These guys were sent to Troas earlier in the story in Acts 20, verse 4. Going further back in Acts, the Ryan in Jerusalem also discusses uh it's kind of a flashback to the story of stephen was mentioned earlier there's a connection there too in acts 6:10 and 11 it's luke says but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with with which he stephen was speaking then they secretly instigated men who said we have heard him make blasphemous words against god against moses and god in our passages, and in, and in the Stephen passage as well, Luke the physician, the author of Acts, makes a distinction that the Jews are trying to misconstrue the message and the messengers of the gospel. In our passage, it is an assumption and a lie that the Jews from Asia make. One, that Paul is preaching against the people, the law in this place. Two, it says that they supposed that Paul brought Trophimus into the temple. There's no saying that they saw it. So what about the Jews? These unbelieving Jews that are hostile to Paul, there is a long list of opposition in the account of Acts that uh, points to unbelieving Jews being a very big thorn in the flesh of Paul. Um... And it's quite severe, I think we'll see. Acts nine twenty two through 23, But Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who believed in Damascus. This is just after his conversion. By proving that Jesus was the Christ, then many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates that night in order to kill him. To kill him, you guys, that's severe. I think I think we kind of gloss over the fact that the game that Paul was playing by being obedient <laughs> is uh, extremely risky. Acts 9.29, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the Word of God, Epiea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds, stirring them up, just like the riot. In Ephesus nineteen uh, Ephesus nineteen, in Acts 19, there's two stories. There's one story of an opposition from Gentiles and a story that maybe is an opposition, but I think it it points to perhaps some motivators for the Jews to track Paul. Scholars pretty much think that these Jews that were tracking him were from Ephesus, as discussed earlier. In this Acts 19 passage, kind of sheds a little bit light of light on what these Jews may have witnessed in Ephesus. All right. This guy named Demetrius is a silversmith in Acts 19, and he doesn't like Paul very much because basically he comes in preaching the gospel, and the gospel says you don't worship things made by silver. It's cutting into his business. So he's pretty mad about that. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Man, you know from this business we have our wealth, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but also in all of Asia, modern-day Turkey, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only in this trade of ours may come in disrepute, but also that the temple of the great god Artemis may be counting as, counted as nothing. A, we encounter a temple, a pagan temple, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. I had never heard of Artemis. Um, and he says, great is Artemis. Then they heard this. They were enraged and they cried out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. Confusion. Confusion is a the theme in our passage. There's confusion. Remember, I said there's two instances in Acts 19. You guys remember the story of the sons of Sceva? It just, I don't know why the name is just like, It sounds like scabies. I just remember. I remember. I always just oh sons of Sceva. I know about that. But uh, the high priest um, had sons apparently, and in 1911, they. It's the text almost makes it read like maybe they were competing with Paul because Paul. At that time, had these handkerchiefs and people were touching the handkerchiefs and were healed. No doubt the Jew, the unbelieving Jews, they probably were like, we got to stop this, Paul. Let's go, you know, I don't know how it transpired exactly, so this is loose, so don't quote me, but you wonder if maybe there was some religious competition here that you know, we see the power that Paul has. We're going to replicate that power and we're going to cast out demons. It fails miserably. Um, this very well, these events could be in the back mind of these Jews from Ephesus. Ephesus is 600 miles away. No cars, no airplane. 600 miles away. I don't know, Los Angeles from here? I don't know exactly, but it's a long way to walk. Luke, the physician, records this after the Sons of Sceva event. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. When I was approaching this passage, I was like, what is, what is motivating these Jews to be this way? In Acts 13.45, we read this also. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling them. All right, back to the text. We kind of get a picture of the Jews from Ephesus, the Temple of Jerusalem. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. The crowd was agreeable to seize Paul. If the crowd knew Paul, if the crowd was pleased with the gospel message, this might have been put down. It wasn't. Acts 21.32 And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion, much like in Ephesus, and centered around a temple. He at once took soldiers and centurions and round down to them. Then they saw the tribune and the soldiers. They stopped beating Paul. The treatment of Paul is unfair. He has been a faithful ambassador, tirelessly working and sacrificing for the clear presentation of the Gospels. One commentator put it this way, the crowd was more driven by passion and prejudice than clear information. I was at work one day And, uh, one of my, this lady, this person's been promoted, since been promoted. She used to be my boss and, um, she's not a believer, but she was visiting Salt Lake City and, uh, she made a quick comment that she said, you know, I was in Salt Lake City and I went to visit the Mormon tabernacle temple and, uh. But one thing that was really disturbing to me was the, um, that there were evangelical Christians standing, shouting, making a fuss publicly. And in that moment I just felt, I just felt embarrassed. I felt em- embarrassed that there's some people that would choose to do something like that, thinking that it would make a positive impact because there's nothing loving about that. It's okay to ris- to disagree, but uh, to sit there at a corner and harass people for going to the Mormon church, um, the, to be clear, the Mormon church is not a Christian faith. I just want to make that clear that they, that is not the Christian faith at all, but uh, that behavior is similar to these unbelieving Jews, and I just don't understand how what those folks were trying to accomplish. And we have to be careful how we present ourselves. We have to be wise to the culture. Uh, there's a lot of abrasive um, things out there, a lot of, uh, things that, uh, are meant to stir up people's anger and pride, and that's all that it does. There's, there's an absence of love and concern. So, I just thought about that when I was preparing. Alright. The Tribune to the Rescue. Acts twenty-one thirty-three through 34. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Prophecy fulfilled. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowds were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. A tribune was a Roman official in charge of a thousand soldiers. We've encountered a centurion in the past in charge of 100 soldiers. This man was in charge of a 1,000. He would have been in charge of several centurions. It was no doubt probably an unwelcome task for the tribune to face the crowds and arrest him. He chose to arrest Paul rather than allow the crowd to kill him and beat him. Acts 21:35 through 37 and when he came to the steps he was actually carried to the soldiers by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd for the mob of people followed crying out away with him the chant away with him if you've been around church and heard the passion story of jesus maybe it's familiar this is the exact same chant that they said about Jesus. But they all cried out, "Away with this man and release to us Barabbas." That concludes our text. A few verses. What can we learn from it? How can we apply it to our lives? I titled this passage "No fair. It was easy. I have a three-year-old who says no fair all the time. Got to change your diaper. No fair. Got to go to bed. No fair. It's no fair what happens to Paul. We make light of it, but uh, this is high stakes. Paul is beaten here. He's beaten. He has to be carried. Perhaps for his protection, perhaps because he's been beaten so much, he has to be carried. Um, these events are not... We're not familiar with this kind of treatment of Christians. It's not in our day-to-day. We're blessed to live in the Western world for decades and century, a few centuries now. We have tremendous freedom. Thank the Lord that we are not in the circumstance of Paul. But there's... Similarities between Paul and Jesus that I kind of want to hone in on. Jesus, people have called this these last few passages or these last few chapters of Acts Paul's passion narrative. There's such a similarity between the events of Jesus and Paul's crucifixion in Jerusalem, rescued by a Roman, Pilate, temporarily. Uh, And Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Jesus knew what laid there. Paul knew he was going to be arrested. Luke 9.51 When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Paul endeavors willfully knowing that suffering will come he truly embodies the phrase, Thy will be done. Do we have a confused notion of what the Lord's will is sometimes? I kind of grew up, I don't know if you guys can relate, but I remember I became a believer when I was about 12 or 13. And uh I remember as I was growing up, I was like, Lord, what's, what's the will of the Lord for me? What career am I going to have? Who am I going to marry? What is, you know, how much money am I going to make? What's in it for me? I assume that you have rainbows and cupids in my future. I assume that it's going to be, you have great plans for me. Doesn't it say that you have great plans for me in scripture? Great in what sense? Paul might ask. Do I think Paul maybe asked those questions? They're not all unimportant. Sure. It's important to raise a family, to get married, if that's what the Lord calls you to do. But uh, do we have suffering in mind when we ask the Lord? Thy will be done. There could be suffering of all kinds in our life, some that are not, that are no fair. I think about, there's application when I think about pastors and their ministry to, to people, to their followers, to people in their church, that sometimes they're, they just get rejected. Ministry workers, it just goes sideways. And you're left thinking, what did I do wrong? I I'm trying to do the will of the Lord. I'm trying to serve these people. Paul probably felt that. He probably wasn't surprised at being incarcerated. <laughs> but uh he, he was. Uh what else? What about godly parents raising children and they grow to adulthood and they do their best and they turn away from the Lord? Paul can relate to that. Paul's stunning statement in response to the suggestion that he not go to Jerusalem. You're breaking my heart. What breaks our heart? Deep in Paul's DNA was sharing the gospel, being a light. It is evident. Paul, it was in his blood. I am going to share the gospel no matter what. I'll be honest. It probably is not going to go to that extent in the culture we live. It probably isn't. It could. It could. The temple, in a matter of 89 years, was gone for, for uh, the Jews. I mean, the temple existed much centuries before that, of course, but um, things change. Things change. Governments change. The people change. Spiritual forces are allowed by the Lord. to. And it's something we don't understand. We don't understand what's going on in our world. What breaks our heart? What breaks my heart? Usually when my kids take longer to go to bed than they normally do, breaks my heart. It's like, I got, I got to be, I got to relax and unwind, go to bed now. Really, if anything takes longer than it's supposed to, it breaks my heart. Like, I'm mad. Like, you go, you pull up to McDonald's and the line is out the street. It's like, ugh. So, I'm so angry, hangry. When my team loses, it breaks my heart. The heart is the central part of who we are. It's tied to our emotions. It's tied to our mind and our desires. Paul had it in his, deeply, deeply, deeply in his mind and heart. (laughs) The gospel. Establishing the church, the new church in its infancy. Maybe you're here today and you're suffering unfairly, maybe a perceived slight. Maybe you had a relationship go wrong with a family member that you loved and cared for, but maybe something was said and you haven't spoken in years and it's not fair. Paul would have something to say about that. Maybe your circumstances just are difficult. They're genuinely difficult. And you feel like it's unfair. Set your face to Jerusalem. Endure. Plug into the body of Christ. Read God's Word. Another point from our passage I'm just going to end with this quote from the late R.C. Sproul. What does it take to be a person with no enemies? He argues from his commentary in Luke that having no enemies is possible only for one, for a man pleaser who tailors his positions to his audience and tells people only what they want to hear. The person who has no enemies has no convictions or principles He changes what he believes depending on who he is talking to and adjusts his views to fit whatever is currently popular. Hard-hitting, convicting. The Lord is with us to the ends of the earth. Take comfort in that too. It's a tough message very convicting to me. Um, we're family, you guys. We're family. Lean on each other. Draw close to one another. As Pastor Jim always says, love each other. All right. Close a little early. All right. I'm going to pray. Father God. Thank you for this passage that hurts a little. It's difficult to hear that maybe we don't want to hear. Teach us to not be only doers of the word, only hearers of the word, but doers, Lord. Fill us with your spirit of joy as we go into our community, that the people around us would know that there's something different about us. They would know that we're saved by our love for each other, by our love for them. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have eternity with you for those who believe, have trusted you, with their life. They've chosen to transfer their faith and trust into your finished and perfect work. Thank you that Paul gives us an example that we can live an exemplary life for you. Help that, set that in our minds. Jesus' name, amen.